0: So what we have in this podcast is a kind of a tutorial, not a sermon or a Bible study. It's just a background exploration to provide an introduction for a sermon. At church at Ballymacashan we have been studying through the book of Acts for over a year now, working slowly passage by passage through the book. And we're now at chapter 17, where Paul has arrived all alone in the town of Athens. The Apostle had been at Berea, where the Bereans, as we all know, were famous for examining the Scriptures daily to check if what Paul was saying and what he was preaching was an accurate representation of biblical truth. So at church we encouraged each other to be good Bereans, and we also observed that it is the responsibility of the Christian pastor in his role as a teaching elder to equip his congregation to be Bereans to give them the tools that are necessary to search the Scriptures. Now one of the most basic principles of biblical interpretation is knowing the context in which a passage is set. That will involve setting a particular passage into the passages around it, looking perhaps at the original languages, finding out the historical and societal conditions, what we call the milieu in which it is written, And so to understand why Paul preached in the way that he did at Athens we need to know what Athens was like when he visited it. We need to know something about its history and its religion, its religious culture, its people and so on. And I usually lay out tutorials like this on a Monday evening. We call it our Monday Extra and we sit together as a group informally. We drink tea and we eat sandwiches and buns and some freshly made pastry and I tell the people in the simplest possible terms the underlying background of the particular text that we're studying. We have notes and sometimes we have maps and illustrations and powerpoint slides. Now with our present Covid regulations we can't do that so I've put this short tutorial on Athens the city into a podcast so that you can get a taste of our Monday evening extra gathering. The only thing is we can't serve you any tea though. If you want tea then you need to pause the recording right now and go and put the kettle on and while you've got your podcast device on pause go and get your bible and open it and read Acts chapter 17 verse 14 to verse 21. Welcome to Monday Extra. Okay, well today we're going to find out a little bit more about the great city of Athens in Greece where Paul preached to the city leaders in Acts chapter 17 so that when we come to study the relevant passages in our Bibles we will know the background against which they are set. So let's think about the city of Athens itself and we'll set the scene and it will help us to understand a little bit about what Paul will have found when he got there. Let's learn first of all about its contribution to ancient history. So when Paul arrived in Athens, the city was basically in the twilight of its greatness. 500 years earlier, Athens was, in my humble opinion, one of the greatest cities in the entire world. Its decline over that 500 years had been ushered in by a very long war. We call it the Peloponnesian War. The war that took place on that little peninsula, that big peninsula, at the bottom end, the southern end of Greece, the Peloponnesian Peninsula, it was between Athens and the rival city Sparta and it dragged on for around 25 years, a really debilitating war and a really interesting war to study actually because Sparta had a virtually unbeatable army and Athens had a virtually unbeatable navy. So it's no wonder the war lasted so long. You can imagine how difficult it was to have a battle when one wanted to fight on land and one wanted to fight on sea. But when it eventually ended in 404 BC the city was just a mere shadow of its former self and even though it developed again and found its place in the ancient world again the glory days of Athens were gone. But Athens was the cradle of democracy. It was governed by a council called the Ecclesia, the same word that we use for the church, Ecclesia, assembly. And in Greece, in Athens, the Ecclesia was a large assembly of free-born adult male citizens. They governed with the help of the Archons, the magistrates. And above them all was a council of Ax-Archons, called the Areopagus. Now under Roman rule, Athens was permitted to retain its ancient system of government as a quasi autonomous state. It was this latter body to which Paul was brought in Acts 17, the Areopagus. It might be said that the great council of the Areopagus in Paul's day had actually become little more than a debating society. After all, the laws had to be Past in accordance with Rome's dictates. So the Areopagus had simply become a great place for debates. Athens was also the home of philosophy. It boasted some of the greatest and most famous named philosophers, people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. There were great schools, there were great debates on philosophy, people seeking to discover the true meaning of life. In this text we meet two schools of thought that were common in Athens, the Epicureans and the Stoics, and we'll talk a little bit about them in a moment or two. Athens of course was a great place of culture. It was the home of great literature and great drama. Great drama was unique, it was notable for its use of a chorus. That was a group of actors speaking together in unison. It was all about the use of language and dramatic form and diction and voice. Athens was the home of oratory, a place where great speeches were appreciated and were frequently heard, even in the streets. And the language of Athens, Attic Greek, was the language that became the basis of the Koine Greek of the New Testament. You can see why Paul to the Athenians was just a babbler. And again, more about that later. But there was something much more striking about Athens. Remember that Paul had travelled to Athens from Berea by sea, by ship. And the port of Athens was the place called Piraeus. And as you approached the city from the port, the first thing that you would be confronted with was a huge statue of Neptune, the Greek god of the sea, seated on a horse with his trident raised to attack. It was the first of many idols in the city of Athens. One frequently quoted comment is that in Athens it is easier to find a god than to find a man. Robert Raymond in his book Paul Missionary theologian. Incidentally if you haven't got that book I thoroughly recommend it as a very good primer on the life of Paul. Well Robert Raymond includes multiple statues, shrines, temples to false gods. He names Apollo, Minerva, Juniper, Mercury, Bacchus, actually the list just goes on and on and on. Is it any wonder that the Bible tells us that Paul's spirit was troubled within him. You can appreciate that Athens was a city whose religion consisted basically of hopeless confusion. Most of the people who inhabited the public squares in Athens had little else to do all day but to talk. So for a man who wanted to do some public speaking or to find people to talk to there would be no problem at all. In fact, in Acts 17 and verse 21, we're told that all the Athenians and foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Well, Paul took the opportunity given by their willingness to listen, to preach the gospel somebody. I will be calling you tomorrow to be okay? I will do that. I do know your numbers. i work for the government. We're told in the Biblical text that two of these groups of philosophers accosted Paul, certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So who were they? Well, the Epicureans, that was a school of thought, devised by the philosopher Epicurus around 300 years before Paul's visit. The Epicureans believed in vaguely in the gods with a small g, But the gods that they believed in were away far off. They weren't bothered by the affairs of mere men and women. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They believed rather that this life is all that there is, so we'd better make the best of it. Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They believed that there was pleasure and pain in every life and that the best life was one where pain was minimised and where pleasure abounded. To be sure, many of them just wanted a life of tranquility, free from pain and distress. So they weren't necessarily hedonists. Then there was the Stoics. Stoicism began with the work of a Citriot philosopher called Zeno, roughly around the same time as Epicureanism. The Stoics believed that God was in everything, and everything was God. Its overriding idea was an attempt to live in harmony with the world, to live in harmony with nature, which after all was God. And that involved a total acceptance of whatever comes to pass, an acceptance of the inevitability of life. Whatever one's fate should be, according to the Stoics, that was the will of the gods. And the Stoics simply accepted it passively and without any resentment. They were totally fatalistic. The Stoics were full of spiritual pride. Is it any wonder that Paul despaired with the city of Athens? Its idolatry, its godless philosophies were deeply troubling. In fact, they very accurately reflect the godless worldviews of today, which also ought to upset us and make our hearts grieve too. These two groups of Free thinkers held very different worldviews and opinions about life and death. But, like all worldly philosophies, they were united in their derision of the gospel and of the gospel messenger. Look at how they thought of Paul and what he was saying. They despised his speech. They addressed him and referred to him as a babbler. And very often we think that refers to his pattern of speech for... Paul was by no means an accomplished orator like the great Athenian speakers. So in 1st Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17 we are told that he did not preach with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. That would have deeply amused the Athenians who were used with worldly wisdom. In 2nd Corinthians we Read that his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. In the city of Oratory, Paul would have sounded ridiculous to these great rhetoricians. In Second Corinthians 11, Paul says that I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am untrained in speech. Many of the great orators of Athens would have spent years in university learning to be great speakers. But there's a more profound reason why they may have considered Paul a babbler. I think that they looked down on him as intellectually inferior. And the reason I think that is because the word babbler in the New Testament Greek is the word spermologos. It literally means a seat picker. Someone who picks up and retails scraps of information. A gossip. Somebody not worth even listening to. It shows the utter contempt that these self-obsessed vain scholars had for the gospel and for the gospel messenger. The good thinkers of this world still think of Christ's death on the cross with derision. They scorn the message and they scorn the preacher. And yet in their haughtiness and haughty wisdom, they totally miss the point. They don't even grasp the main point, that God has raised up his own son from the dead. If you turn into your Bible at Acts chapter 17, you'll read there that others among these great philosophers said that he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Now look at that little phrase, Jesus and the Resurrection. These people in Athens were used, remember, to multiple deities. They were used to pantheons of false gods. And they mistook the message of Paul. Perhaps they thought when he was talking about Jesus and the Resurrection that he was talking about two gods, a god and a goddess. The word resurrection is the word anastasis. The Greek literally means a a raising or a rising up, an uprising into a state of higher advancement and blessedness. But the word is in the accusative singular female case. It's a feminine noun. And the Athenians may even have thought that Paul was talking about some new god and his goddess Jesus and Anastasia and in their great wisdom and in their intellectual ability. While mocking and scorning Paul, they were so spiritually blind that they couldn't even grasp the simplest of gospel message that the Saviour has died for sinners and is risen from the dead. I suppose in a sense, that helps us to understand why the so-called great thinkers of today can't seem to grasp the good news. No matter how well educated a person may be, no matter how highly qualified or deeply intellectual, all of our learning is corrupted and twisted by our human sin. And we are sin-blinded. And that makes us unable to grasp the truth without the work of the Holy Spirit, awakening us to our true state. And... In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3 to 4 Paul writes even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded and who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. So Paul has preached at the synagogue. He's preached in the the marketplace in the Agora. And now he receives a summons to appear before the highest court in Athens, the ancient city council known as the Areopagus, the former seat of power, now the talking shop of the intellectuals and nobility. Acts chapter 17 and verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. It's at the Areopagus that Paul preaches a sermon to the Gentiles. And that sermon gives us an insight into the difference in his presentation of the gospel between the Gentiles and the Jews. We see here his Bible teaching methods to the Jews and his evangelistic methods to the Gentiles so Paul has arrived in Athens he's witnessed extreme paganism and he's been confronted by some very clever people who laugh at him so much that they fail to grasp the importance of the message he's bringing